Welcome to the weekly Dharma Talk podcast from the Columbus Karma Teksum Choling Buddhist Meditation Center. This week's Dharma Talk is entitled, May All Beings Be Free of Suffering and the Causes of Suffering, by Eric Weinberg. The second of the four immeasurables invites us to contemplate compassion. Through this practice, we can open the door to experiencing reality as it is, free, empty of the concept of self and other. If you like our Dharma Talk series, please consider donating to Columbus Karma Texum Choling at columbusktc.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for coming. It's wonderful to see all of you. Officially, yesterday was one of the four important holidays in the Tibetan Buddhist year called Chotrul Duchen. And there were people here celebrating it yesterday. Um, I think today is a continuation of that. Um, it's said that whatever good you do on one of these sacred days is multiplied by a whole lot. I've heard all kinds of numbers, 10,000 times, 100,000 times. I don't think how many times matters that much. It's just that we have these times that um, commemorate extraordinary compassion every year, throughout the year, and when we take a, take a moment in our busy lives to uh, sink in to the energy of that day, it truly does multiply good qualities that many times. Um, there's also, of course, the uh, caveat that if you're involved in bad stuff, that gets multiplied too. I think that's just a goad to keep us mindful because we can all fall in to all kinds of, you know, um, all kinds of negative thinking. And so the, I think the idea of these holidays, aside from giving ourselves um, an opportunity for retreat and for going inside and doing our inner work, I think, I think they also uh, bring us together as Sangha and we feel a connection to one another practicing and it actually does set up some kind of opportunity to realize just there's more than just me out here and we're all connected and in fact especially among Sangha ordinary Sangha like us and and enlightened Sangha like all these guys up here, guys and gals. Um, we're all connected, we're all in this together and we sort of have a role. Um, reality is just a vast space. It's unimaginably vast. When you start reading some things about astrophysics and all that, 
you realize our tiny blue dot isn't even a tiny blue dot, as Carl Sagan called it. It's, it's barely a fly speck. And therefore, we are some very, some fraction of a fly speck that, while being so tiny and so inconsequential, can actually know and contemplate and imagine the whole thing. So in a sense, this thing that we think is all of ourselves, our body, speech and mind, is actually the small part, which is why we were taught meditation, why the Buddha taught the particular forms of meditation the Buddha taught was, because as we go in, it's, things don't get smaller. We penetrate to the infinite, which is actually in the center of our heart. Today's um, talk follows the last one I gave last month, which followed in turn the ones I was giving a couple months before, so I'll just quickly review. This all started when Lama Tobden came and did that weekend that was extraordinary on the Mahamudra lineage prayer. And so, you know, I'm one of the team that gives um, Dharma talks here on Sundays. And um, when I was thinking about topics that would really make sense or fit in with the way teachings at the center were flowing, I thought, wow, let's crack open some of this Mahmudra lineage prayer. And um, so we spent, I think maybe I did three or four uh, Dharma talks, breaking down the essential instructions that are within it for meditation, describing um, what the pieces were. And then it dawned on me, oh, gee, a lot of, um, in fact, in formal monastic settings, all uh, gatherings begin with that Mahamudra lineage prayer, and they always segue into what we segue into, which is the refuge prayer after that. So the last uh, section of things we talked about was the refuge prayer in the sense that we repeat it three times as a way of taking refuge with our body, our physical nature, our speech, um, which is really the way we label and relate to the world, right? It's what speech is, it's language. And our minds, which are these extraordinarily um, ungraspable things. We are, maybe they're not things, that would make them nouns, and maybe they're verbs, I don't know. They seem to be ever developing and opening. Um, so, taking refuge at all those levels, kind of starting with our physical place, which we acknowledge and love, and at least aspire to love, and our inner atmosphere, which is kind of the realm of speech, what we think, 
is like speech because we think in words, right? Whether they're ones spoken out loud or ones we just talk inside. And um, mind, which is the extraordinary openness within which all of that arises. Okay, so we talked about that and talked about um, that as kind of the next piece of what might go into a daily practice. And I just wanted to go a little bit into that so people uh, can get some richness out of their daily practice. Usually the thing that follows that is what's called uh, traditionally uh, the four Brahma Viharas or the four immeasurables. Um, this is a very ancient prayer. The first stanza that in, in the order that we like to recite it, there are different orders out there that you might run across, don't let it throw you, it's all good. Um, but the first one that we, the first stanza for us is, may all beings have happiness and its causes. And we talked about that as being like the, um, the core of loving kindness. It's like, what does that mean? And kind, see that word loving kindness, that's, that's kind of like open to broad interpretation. So I kind of switched it in that talk to well-being. Because really, in the end of the day, that's really what we all want. We all want to feel well. We all want some well-being. And we all want to be the kind of folks that help create conditions where others can feel well-being as well. And in fact, that's what the Dharma paths are all about. So the next stanza is, um, may all beings be free of suffering and the cause of suffering. So that's what I'm going to talk about a little bit today. The, that, that stanza, so brief and so powerful, really evokes what we call compassion. Compassion really means the ability to remove suffering from others. That's what compassion is. It's a tall order. It requires insight and skill. It isn't just because we want to do it. So in the beginning, we start with love, which is ultimately the motivation that'll take us down the path, that'll give us the energy and the impetus to really cultivate our insight and to really, yeah, we might not be able to choose all the skills in one lifetime, but really choose a skill that might be um, uh, helpful in removing suffering. So for instance, one of those skills is good how to listen. Most of us don't listen too well. And there's a lot of good, we're, we live in a world where there's a lot of good um, teaching and tutorials and practice available in how to be a good listener. Um, and along with that, how to be a good communicator. So 
there's all this stuff about, uh, I think it started with a guy named Carl Rogers, reflective listening, is that right? Something like that. And then there's the other side, which is nonviolent communication. It's like, okay, how do we say what we need to say, whether it's soft or hard, without creating havoc? It's a little different than the energy that's in this world today because it seems like so many people, especially in terms of what they want to say, want to say it in such a way that gets all this attention. Me, 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 me. This is me. And of course, of course, of course, that ultimately leads to, at the end of the day, we all know this from our own experience, right? We go home, we're finally, we're alone, you know, lights are going down, the TV has gotten boring, can't see another commercial without losing my mind. This is true confessions right here. So you turn it off and you're, and you're sitting there. And if I had a day where I kind of went me, 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 me all day, there's a sort of like really, it's not necessarily a bad feeling, but it's not that feeling of well-being that I wish for myself and for others. I haven't done real good job loving myself by being so self-centered, which is weird. That's really why we think we do it. That is what, this is kind of an oversimplified breakdown of things that they've written walls of books about. But really that's the crux of the matter with serving this false sense of self. Buddha taught that this sense of self that we have is an illusion. So if we spend all day trying to make this illusion happy, we're bound to fail because it's just an illusion. All right? So the key to making this self happy, oddly, is not arising from self-centeredness, which is why this next line in the prayer is, may all beings be free of suffering and the causes or the cause of suffering. That's where it all, that's where it all boils down. So as you can see, the Dharma, if you practice it, especially, I'm just saying this as a Westerner, practice it for a long time in a language that you understand because what you'll find is it'll lead you step by step. It'll help your mind. First, it'll give you the meditation instructions. Then it'll give you three levels of applying those instructions. And then it'll give you um, a set of aspirations that kind of create the conditions for you to have this experience of life, this experience of waking up, of enlightenment, that really is your heart's desire, that really will bring you happiness at the end of the day, that really will create a situation where even if you're watching boring TV and even worse commercials, 
Your mind is so capable. Your mind is a mind that lets go, and you don't hold on to those reactions that you have, those labels you've put on, um, those preferences that you're projecting all over everything, because by living in, in um, a state of compassion, this is the best way of loving yourself. It is. It winds up being the light of your life. It winds up being the part of yourself that when all the illusion disappears, just shines forth even, even stronger. Okay. So that's what I want to talk about today. I'm not going to say enormous amounts. The experiential part's more important, in my opinion. So I'll talk a little bit, but I'll also um, lead a little guided meditation on compassion. Um, and then we'll definitely have some time for questions and answers and stuff like that. But first, Let's start with this refuge prayer. Um, let's say it two times in English and chant it the last time in Tibetan. In the Buddha, the Dharma, and the assembly most excellent, I take refuge until I reach enlightenment. By the merit of generosity and other good deeds, May I achieve enlightenment for the sake of all beings. In the Buddha, the Dharma, and the assembly most excellent, I take refuge until I reach enlightenment. By the refuge of generosity and other good deeds, may I achieve enlightenment for the sake of all beings. Sanje chudong soki chodam la Changju Pardu Dagni Kyapsuji Dagi Jinso Ipe Sunamki Drola Penchir Sanje Ruparshok. Thank you. So Compassion is complex because um, we feel great love and then a sense of deep sorrow all at the same time. So it's said in our um, tradition that one of the ways, one of the formulations for what enlightenment is which is funny to me all the time, because on the one hand they'll say these things, and then on the other hand they'll say, but it can't be described with words. So, But words are helpful for those of us who aren't there yet. Um, so uh, one of the formulations is, is the union of wisdom and skillful means. You can think of loving kindness as wisdom, 
I think it's powerful and true and simple. And you can think of compassion as skillful means. And when you put together loving kindness and compassion, that's at the very least, if not an enlightened being, certainly enlightened action, okay, in the moment. And that's the, that's the thing about this Dharma path, once you get on it, and once you kind of have your focus on those two things, wisdom and compassion, uh, you start catching, actually, you start do catching glimpses of enlightenment. They're fleeting. They're not something we can or should try to hold on to or recreate. We should just keep going on the path that brought us to that flash of insight in the first place. That's the that's important piece of advice. Um, but compassion is complicated. And it's a little bit like being a parent. You know, they say that compassion arises when you see all beings as your mother. It's the way the Dalai Lama teaches it. Well, what that means is you're also the mother of all beings. Um, I don't know why they don't say it that way, but I, I think obviously one leads to the other. And for those of you who've been a mom or a dad or even an uncle or an aunt or a cousin, and you just love this little button that was born who gets everything wrong all the time, I mean just totally out of control, eats when it wants, poops when it wants, where it wants, how it wants, change the diaper, they piss in your face, you know, it's like all that. And yet you love them. Love them, love them, love them. And you don't know what you're doing. Boy, when that first one comes, you don't know what's going on or what hit you or where you're going to get the energy because you're up all night because they cry all night and so on. And heaven forbid if they have colic. Oh my gosh. Anyway, all that. Some of you know this stuff. Some of you will know this stuff. Some of you, you know, everybody kind of has some relationship to it. Well, but as a parent, one of the things you do is you start out of this love to want to have more skill than you have. In fact, you need it. And that little one that you love needs it. And we all go and do our best to learn some skills, basic skills, you know, from the skill of holding your nose and changing the diaper at the same time. This is a very high skill. Um, to um, properly, you know, figuring out um, feeding and exercising and what to listen to and what not to listen to and all those kinds of good things. And, you know, with, our, with my parents, there was Dr. Spock and all that kind of thing. And there have been others along the way. We all do it, and they're there because we all need to learn. Well, compassion, we train in compassion. We train in compassion. Loving kindness, wisdom is naturally arising. It really is. You just 
we fall in love all the time. And the more open we get, the quieter we get, the more we fall in love. It's wonderful. That's really the backdrop, but we don't know what to do with it. And that's why compassion takes training. There's suffering in the world. That's what Buddha taught. And when you're in love, you want to remove suffering and you want to cut the causes of suffering off at the root. Boy, how to do that? There's a lot. So the first thing about doing that is, is that we Back up. Lama Yeshe Jamso, who's a good friend of this center, he's a great translator. Uh, translated for Kempo Kartha Rinpoche and Bartulka Rinpoche and Karmapa and even um, the Dalai Lama one time I saw him and stuff like that. Um, he used to say, with all this variety of stuff, particularly in Tibetan Buddhism, um, there are really only two forms of meditation. There's calming down and waking up, and you can't wake up until you calm down. And that's calming down is, you can think of it as loving kindness, starting with loving kindness for your own precious life. And then waking up, you can think of as compassion. And so, we don't like um, approach them separately, we approach them together. I would recommend, this is a practice recommendation that when you're practicing on your own and you'll need to practice every day, by the way, even if it's short amount of time, in fact, short amounts of time are better. Lots of short amounts of time, better than long amounts of time. Um, always start with this calming down. We know how to do it, right? It's simple. We take some deep breaths and we let them go. Let go of all the tensions, whatever, you know, we're reacting to in the day and so forth, and you just rest. And bring your mind to the breath and you rest on the breath. And whatever else comes up, it gets noticed and let go of so that it can go do its own thing, whatever it is. And that helps us calm down. It's amazing. It's a superpower. It's like crazy how powerful that is. And it's so simple. We can carry it in our hip pocket all day long, right? And then whatever practice we're doing, you'll notice this every single one of them, in some sense, is a compassion practice, all right? Now, we'll get to a specific thing for that in a minute, but I just want you to know, if you practice Chenrezig, that's a compassion practice. When you visualize yourself as Chenrezig, first of all, you're acknowledging I'm not the small self thing. I've gone inside, I've calmed down enough that I can see that actually I'm more like the, um, the, 
the Lord of compassion, the universal energy of compassion, than I am like my little selfish self. I mean, really, at the root of it, I'm really more like that. So I visualize myself that way, and then I make offerings, and those offerings spill over as blessings for all beings, and they all turn into the Lord of compassion. And there's just an infinite number of lords of compassion in the universe that you're now sitting in. That is compassion, because you're at least seeing others as Buddhas to be at the very least. And seeing them that way, you take them all into your own heart. That's the way the practice goes. That's how compassion works. So why we, if we practice every morning, it can be so powerful because it sets you up to see, certainly, Dr. Ann is Dr. Ann and Sally is Sally and so forth, but also to see them as potential Buddhas. And out of, out of what's already naturally arisen in having met the Dharma, all I want is for them to be liberated to be free, to be free of suffering. So there you go. That's the core of that prayer that we pray. May all beings be free of suffering and its cause. The cause of suffering is interesting. Buddha just used one word, attachment. Okay, well, I'm attached to my Dharma practice. What do you say about that, Mr. Buddha? Well. That's true. And here's how it goes. I'm attached to other things too, by the way. Um, I'm attached to my opinions. I'm attached to my judgments. I'm attached to my preferences. You know, I like certain kinds of music and I don't like other kinds of music. Truth be told, the music is Neutral, somebody just created sound because they thought it was important to create that sound. My judgment is like neither here nor there. Those are the attachments that cause suffering. Attachment to your own growth is a form of loving kindness. So you got to go back and be discerning. You don't throw out good things because you've labeled your relationship to them as attachment. Don't do it. That's still just your label. Let go of the labeling. That's what shamatha teaches us at a subtle level. So, you know, we're doing shamatha and the thoughts come, you know, I'm thinking about what I'm going to do this afternoon and I just notice it and I let it go and come back to my breath and that's good. But then it's like, I really love that thing and you know, it's really good that I do that thing and oh, well that's a little more subtle to let go and you can let that go. Then it's like, oh, I feel 
feel a lot better. Oh, I love Dharma practice. This is good. Well, that's not really actually a problem. Because it doesn't, it's not a judgment or a label. It's an appreciation that you've received some love. And the universe has just bestowed this blessing on you because you stopped for a second and you opened yourself and boom, there it was. That's the nature of enlightenment. It's always there. It's never not there. We're just real busy with all our self-talk and labels and stuff like that. And so we miss it, all right? So the first skill in the skill of compassion is learning, as I mentioned before, to listen. Even how to listen to ourselves. And discern. Oh, me worrying about or thinking about what I'm going to be doing an hour from now, as opposed to being present to what I'm doing right now, makes no sense. I'll get there when I get there. Be here now, as Ram Dass said. Right? Just be here now. And deeply experience the love of this moment. And to the degree you can, make it possible for others to experience the love of this moment also. That's, that's the nature of how compassion unfolds. So I found this story. Um, I love stories, as some of you know, about Ramana Maharshi, who wasn't a Buddhist, but he's, he's a great saint, Hindu saint, of late 20th century. Um, he counted among his friends and students, you know, the 16th Karmapa, Mahatma Gandhi was his student and so on and so forth. He was a great one. He had popes come visit him, you know, stuff like that. He just lived a subsistence living on this little hill in Northern India called Arunachala. Anyway, I got a lot of Maharshi stories because I, I love him. So this story is like this. Echamal was a longtime devotee of Ramana Maharshi. She came to him after losing her husband and all of her children. She was brokenhearted and shattered when she came to the Maharshi but in his presence, she found healing and peace. After Etchamel was able to begin her life again, she even adopted her brother's orphaned daughter named Chalama. Chalama stayed with Etchamel and grew up into a beautiful young woman. Then she got married and had a child, however, not long after giving birth to her son, Chalama suddenly passed away. When Echamel received the news of her death in the telegram, she ran to Bhagavan in the state of inner agitation and handed him the message. As Bhagavan read the words announcing Chalama's death, a river of tears 
began streaming from his eyes. He seemed to feel the loss as keenly as Etchemal herself. As she watched the tears fall down on the Maharshi's face, Etchemal's own terrible grief dissolved away and she became filled with a great inner peace in its stead. Rabbi Nachman of Breslov teaches that the degree of our compassion is intimately connected with our state of consciousness. The higher our state of consciousness, the greater is the compassion that we feel. Usually compassion arising is the first sign that somebody has actually entered the path. Um, I'll never forget, I've told this before, but I'll tell it briefly. Uh, Carl Lindsay, one of my students on death row, uh, when, when I first met him, we, we taught him um, meditation practice. And the second time we saw him a month later and asked for questions, he raised his hand. And he said, I don't have a question, but I need you to tell me about something. Um, this meditation thing, it's the most powerful thing I've ever known. I never knew I had the power to let go of a thought. That's incredible insight. He said, but what's troubling me is that all the victims of my crime are still full of bitterness and hatred and they're suffering. What can I do? What can I do to help, help them pass beyond this suffering? That was his first thing. It was clear he had actually entered the path. Well, there's a lot of things you can do once you become aware. So that's what this meditation we're about to do is about. Um, but one thing you can do, just to be real explicit about it, is at the end of your practice, recognize that you have done something extraordinarily good, even if you've got a judgment you didn't let go of that it wasn't such a good practice. Trust me, that happens, but let go of it anyway. Any practice you did is a good practice and accumulates a lot of merit. It's very rare that anybody does practice, meditation practice or training in compassion or anything like that. Most people find time for that once or twice a year or maybe once or time, twice a lifetime maybe. Um, we're so lucky that we realize that we have the power and the kind of life that lets us engage this every day. Well, there's a lot of merit and a lot of preciousness, a lot of rarity um, that accompanies those actions we take and dedicate the goodness of all that, the merit of all that, to relieve the suffering of beings. And you can do it for all beings, you can do it for refugees of war right now. 
you can do it for the earth herself, who were causing a lot of suffering. For You can do it for individuals that you want especially to concentrate on, which is what we talked to Carl about and what he started to do. He started dedicating the merit of all his practice to these people. And you know what? Long story short, um, over time, they reached out. And this is with no contact from him or anybody because it's illegal for um, there to be a nexus between criminals and their victims. There's a big problem with that. These people reached out to the board, state Board of Corrections saying they wanted to reconcile and they wanted to meet Carl. And he, of course, had been preparing himself for that for years. He had been praying for that. And sure enough, literally, seemingly out of nowhere, um, their suffering had come to an end and they wanted to seal that by meeting him. And they met a couple of times. Um, and everybody came away um, freed. So this compassion practice is powerful. And don't discount it. Always dedicate the merit of your practice. Always, always, always. Even if it's five minutes or two minutes. Just take a moment and imagine that you send it out. So, um, cutting the root of suffering off, or cutting suffering off at the root, um, has some requirements. First, we need to know what the causes of suffering are or what the cause of suffering is. Attachment, okay, well, we got to work with that. That's just a word, it's a concept, and unless we work with it, it'll stay conceptual and not become real for us. Um, we have to understand the field of play is much bigger than we thought. And then we have to have some kind of mm, tool or methodology that we can use, uh, at least until we become enlightened um, and, you know, we just see things directly. So the way that we begin meditation, this is the beginning of the meditation now, just so you know. So the way we begin is we just sit and we settle. Um, I'm going to kind of guide this and um, I apologize ahead of time for those of you who don't like or don't need any kind of guidance um, in the course of meditation, but I want to kind of share this method in this way. So we can start by simply breathing in 
and just holding the breath below our navel for a moment. And then as we breathe out, let go of all the tensions that you feel. Let go of the busyness of your mind. Let go of everything that arises. Memories of what had been going on, plans for what will go on. So just breathe in and hold for a moment and let go of your breath and let it carry with it all the discursive thinking. And do it one more time. Now just follow your breath. Let your awareness ride with your breath. As it rides in, really follow it with detail, with a microscope. Can you feel how it leaves your lungs in your bloodstream? And it brings nourishment and oxygen to every cell in your body. As you're breathing in, feel this life-giving goodness all the way to the cellular level. If there's any particular place that's painful or tense, breathe directly into that. Bring this goodness and relaxation to that place. Now, As you breathe out, pay attention to that too. As you breathe out, follow your breath. Your breath carries with it all the waste products from your cells, all that carbon dioxide and so forth. And it goes out into the atmosphere where it is food for all kinds of living things, plants and trees. It's food even for the livingness in the ocean, the seaweed and the coral. So as you breathe, don't completely let go. Simply 
be very attentive to following your breath all the way in to the cellular level and all the way out bringing needed nourishment to the entire universe. And simply rest. Realizing that you're at home in this universe. And this universe is at home in you. That you're a part of something. You thought you were an individual, but you're an individual in the same way that an individual bone cell in your body is an individual. You're part of something. And your health is really important to the whole. And the health of the whole is really important. Feel the love of just being still and nourishing every cell in yourself when you breathe in and in all others when you breathe out. Because of the truth of this, when you breathe in, you realize you are breathing in what trees and others have let go of. And you take it in and you feel the warmth of the light of recognition and when all of that, whatever it is, whether it's dark or light or gray or whatever it is, when it meets the light, this livingness that's in you, that's, that is you, there's nothing but vast, open, luminous space that accommodates everything, everything. And because of that, 
you begin sending love. You begin taking in whatever obstructs that love from reaching its mark, the heart of every living being. And when you remove those obstacles and they dissolve into the light, this light of goodness that's alive in you, transform into more light, which you offer out as more blessing. In and out, just like that. Breathing in whatever comes your way. Listening to whatever comes your way. Letting it meet love. And then offering out this reality that's touched by that love. So just meditate like that for a couple minutes. So on the meditation cushion, by practicing like this, you can get your mind used to being in the reality that you're living in a, in a different way that's not so self-centered, that's not so alone. It's really important. And then there's all this time we have off the cushion, which is most of it, right? I mean, for most of us, uh, we're not in permanent retreat. And so um, it's good to have a phrase ready in your hip pocket, right? Um, when we see suffering and it's beyond our capacity, we don't have the skills yet, like say on the freeway ramp on the way home, there's a homeless person begging for money, probably to go get another drink or another fix, probably. One of the things, oh, in my, oh, very compassionate, guilt-ridden, you know, white male American 
person sense, liberal sense, I would, on the one hand, want to recoil, mostly because I don't know what the heck to do. Um, or give them money just so I feel like I was generous and I've done something. Both those things are pretty bad ideas. But you can have something ready kind of in your hip pocket. Now, in my car, I know it's not vegetarian, but these people need protein. I have some of these beef sticks that are in the little pocket near the, on the driver's side door that you get at Costco. You get a whole bunch of them. They're really good. They don't have a lot of junk in them and, you know, a lot of protein food. So when I see them, I roll down my window and I give them some food and they're always grateful. There's one woman that I see all the time says, oh, my husband loves these. Um, which is great. And I, I can say something like, uh, they can say, they almost always say, God bless you. And I almost always say, good luck. You know, because, man, there's nothing better than some good luck when you're down on your luck. Um, that's one way of being ready and being able to do something that we can do. I mean, we have to be able to do what we can do. The other thing is, is to have a prayer ready. So the one that's um, from the great path of awakening that Lama Kathy talks about all the time, which I love, is whatever comes up. So maybe the first thing I felt was fear when I saw this person that was so down on their luck. Or maybe it was confusion, or maybe it was just some sense of recoiling. I can say, may my confusion contain all the confusion of all beings in the world right now. Going back to that meditation we did, we're connected. We can take all that in. We're as confused as we can be. I can take on your confusion. I still won't be any more confused than I am right now. Literally. I'm as confused as I freaking can be. And when I'm afraid, I'm as afraid as I can be. So why not make the aspiration that my fear, that my confusion would contain all these obstacles that other beings have and that one day we would all be free of them and live in this union of wisdom and skillful means of loving kindness and compassion. Why not? So I keep that ready. And if it's just that I see somebody who's incredibly sad or incredibly down and out and I don't have all these reactions, because that happens sometimes too, um, and I give them a beef stick and say good luck and I think, may all beings have everything they need. May they have food and shelter and clothing and safety. May they have inspiration towards good things and so forth. So literally every moment you can have a prayer like that in your hip pocket and continue your prayer and your insight of being connected to everything 
you can continue it off the cushion as well. The importance of practicing this on the cushion, of course, is just getting your mind used to it, because we usually don't think in those terms. But the object of the exercise is actually to integrate that into our lives. So anyway, I could go on and on, but I won't. Um, there, there is a little bit of time for a couple of questions. Um, we'll go a little over, but I won't let it go too far over. If anybody has questions or comments. Thank you for the talk. Um, I, I was really interested in the little part you said about, you know, you can't be too attached to Dharma. This is a question I've sort of been asking myself for um, four years now. And, and um, everything you said sounded right to me, like it makes sense that you can't, you know, be, be too attached to feeling um, joyful and, and wanting to bring that joy to others. But if it, I feel like it's a little bit more nuanced than that. Like maybe you can be too attached to wanting Dharma things to go in a specific way mm -hmm. or, or wanting, you know, to, to attend a certain teaching or get a certain empowerment. And, and that can cause suffering. Mm -hmm. So I guess I was wondering if you could maybe say a little bit more about um, mm. how to notice that and, and how to know when, when things are, maybe turn the corner. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think it gets down to discernment. Um, and discernment is, is something that I evolves over time. So there's things that we want, you know, like we want enlightenment. We want to be free of suffering. I mean, that's built in, right? But then we don't listen to the second part, which is life is bringing you everything you need to walk the path to enlightenment if you can walk with it skillfully right? So we leave that out. And instead we say, oh, if I just had this empowerment, or if I had this special bell and dorje that was made under a full moon in the mountains of Nepal and was blessed by a thousand monks, if I just had that, you know, the vibes off of that would, see, that's not actually attachment to the Dharma. That kind of thing is attachment to our own fear that we don't have enough or we don't have the right stuff or, oh my gosh, you know, the world calls that teacher the Dalai Lama. They just call my teacher Kempo. I must, I need, I must need the next thing that's just so, so inquisitive. So we have to discern that and realize that, oh, what is that coming from? And it can be coming from any of the eight worldly dharmas, right? So if you, if you discern it and you look and it's coming from desire for pleasure or desire to avoid pain, desire for gain or a pat on the head, 
and a desire to avoid loss or being, you know, unrecognized or unimportant in the Sangha and so on. If you can find the eight worldly dharmas in the attachment, you realize you have to do a little work on that. That requires a little insight and a little, you know, a little work. However, if it's just a pure desire to be free of suffering and to be skillful enough to free others from suffering, that to me is pretty pure until, until we reach enlightenment when it becomes a moot point because that's what we do. Does that make sense? Yeah, thank you so much. Good sure. idea. Thank you so much for, for your talk today. I, um, I really appreciated what you said about being a mother to the world. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I just adopted a dog mm. uh, who's five. And, um, you know, I am so in love with this dog. Like you said, the open heart love. Right. But... Um, my attachment, I think, is causing problems in the household. Like the dog, I have an older son that lives with me. He's 20 and 21. And uh, um, when he comes down the steps, the dog barks. Mm. Um, and um, that scares him. So he doesn't like the dog. Mm. So there's, there's, um, there's suffering going on, tension mm -hmm. going on in the household. I just wonder if you have any comments about that, um, about how to find some balance. Yes, train the dog. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe I have to train me first. <laughs> well, yeah. actually, actually, when you train your dog, you're training yourself as well. True. I mean, it, it's true. really true. Um, it, last talk, I don't know if you were here for that or heard that, I actually talked about mind training because I think of our minds. Some teachers call it monkey mind. I think it's yeah. puppy mind um, because they're lovable, but they're just, they piss and poop all over the place. Yeah. They bark at everything. They chew the furniture. They bite the cushions. And they're unhappy when they're doing it because you're unhappy and they feel your unhappiness and it's horrible. So the kindest thing you can do is to train your mind because it's like a puppy. It'll be much happier when it's trained. Also, in life, if you have a puppy, the kindest thing you can do is really train it. I mean, honestly, it's, it's the most compassionate thing to do. And if you don't know, this is that thing about compassion. It, 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 it has skill embedded in it. If you don't have the skill, acknowledge you don't have the skill and go to a trainer who knows what they're doing and you'll learn and the dog will learn. Everybody will be happy. That's I, what I think. I've had a couple puppies, so I, I relate to this. No, I, 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 truly, I truly appreciate that. It's... it's, it's um, I don't know. There's not much more to say. I know that's the, th I signed up for a training class, but it doesn't start till March 6th. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> so, in the meantime, so, yeah. you just do the best you can. I am. Yeah. just doing the best I can. Thank you very much. Sure. But, you know, I think, you know, the your love for the dog is an attachment exactly. Mm -hmm. Love is love. Love is good. 
the attachment comes from all the other places of of reactivity inside of ourselves, mm-hmm. like um, and and trying to get what we want and avoid what we don't want, and that's and you articulated that really well. You want your son to be happy. You don't want him to be unhappy or upset. You want the dog to be happy, and but we get tangled in these preferences when the through line in the middle is, okay, we got a situation here. We just have to work with this situation. So there's gonna be training and that's how we do it. It's a long-term process, not like a silver bullet kind of thing. Thank you so much. Sure. I appreciate it. Well, as usual, I've gone over. So, but as I said before, probably one of the most important things that we do is dedicate the merit of um, of all the goodness that we bring about in our lives um, for the benefit of all beings. So on the back of the prayer sheet uh, is a dedication of merit. Let's just read it together in English. By this merit, May all attain omniscience. May it defeat the enemy wrongdoing. From the stormy waves of birth, old age, sickness, and death, from the ocean of samsara, may I free all beings. The courageous Manjushri, who knows everything as it is, Samantabhadra, who also knows in the same way, and all the bodhisattvas, that I may follow in their path, I completely dedicate all this virtue. And when you say that last line, I completely dedicate all this virtue, simply remember that you are intimately connected with everything and just send the light out on all those tendrils, those webs of connection that everyone might be blessed. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this week's Dharma Talk. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, please subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. To learn more about the Columbus Karma Teksum Choling or to donate to support our Dharma Talk series, please visit our website at columbusktc.org. The opening and closing music for the podcast is Tibetan Flute Song by Tamding Arts at tamdingarts.com. Please join us again next week for another Dharma Talk.